everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you took the time to sit down, stand up, walk around, jump around, whatever you're doing and listening to this podcast. Praxis Podcast is about us centering our practice, honing our craft in education. Life is an apprenticeship and we want to build a guild of educators where we all come share what we know, learn from each other and grow from the learning. Take care. out with you lot anymore then i've got to go and find you know tony Bates. she can make a decent cuppa unlike these two probably <laughs> I, I make no cuppas <laughs> okay there's one person I don't even know what a cuppa is. right <laughs> yeah, i can drink i drink a canna <laughs> i've got i've got a canna right here look at that no my canna's in the my canna's in the i have freezer. a goblet you have a goblet i have a chalice lucy <laughs> a chalice i do Ooh. see oh you do you do see, it's a Chalice. It really is. It is. Great. It is a real chalice. It's got my this stupid background. <laughs> I know. But you know, take Lucy to show up with like a fluted glass and I know. you know, yeah. get the Christmas yeah. tree from Buckingham Palace in the background. Yeah, I was just gonna say she's coming at us from Hogwarts there. No, this is right. the great room at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, Lucy, That's you're the just... new you're the new co-host. I'm gonna have to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to spend Sally for a couple weeks here. I'm gonna push her. Just push her out. Yeah, just, we'll just delete her screen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh. Who did you say she was? Sally what? somebody. Sorry? Yeah. What? Who's Sally somebody. Somebody. <laughs> somebody. It's somebody from an undisclosed location, right, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Mikey. <laughs> you know, have you guys seen the ad for the new uh, over-the-ear phones from Apple? Yes. 700 bucks U.S.? I mean, come oh, I, on, I can buy those. two pairs of Dr. Dre b- b- beats for that, right? Like, give me a stinking break. Did you just beatbox? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can you do did. that all day. I need to look. That should be, that should happen in between the segments on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's right. got, something's got to change because I've been getting feedback from people who listen to the podcast when I actually use heavy metal stingers and they're like dude you got to stop doing that because you're blowing my ears off my face man i love that yeah and my, I I love my colleague yeah. yota she's like um i had oh, what, what what band did i have tickets to oh, i can't remember now anyway she's a big rocker and then um she was like i listened to the podcast and i love the music oh <laughs> Great, okay you're all done that's good. I got I got oh, some feedback yeah. from a from a colleague at BCIT who I would never have expected would listen to the podcast. He's like, "Yeah, I'm living. I'm loving your podcast, man. Great deal. Like, especially the last one with Tannis, man. Like, awesome." I'm like, "Oh, no. that's good." And now it, now Ed's on the train, and he and Chad yeah. mentioned Sally. You did, and I got a mention. I was like, "I yeah. got a yeah, I'm actually recording Monday. Awesome. So that's, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah, it's just he's such a sweet man, and it oh comes across God. in this podcast. You just want to give him Excuse a big a hug. Just, yeah, just like, come here, Ed. Come here. Let me give you a hug. Like that story he was talking about when he got the teaching job and he was oh, driving yeah. back, and his dad had passed yeah. away, but he was talking to his dad. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, ch- I was yeah. like choking it's up. Like, okay, I'm going to fast forward like, to this because no, I don't want people to see me cry as I'm walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe he's that podcast. You know, like when you go on shows and they always make you cry. Like people, are, I'm yes. not going to cry on here. Okay. And then this is going to be his <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Every yeah. member is going to cry eventually right. at some point. Okay. Right. 
So you lot, how come you have time? How come this last week you had time to listen to this? Obviously in waking hours. I'm like, yeah. it is insanely busy. Like it so busy. busy. Time blocking, Lucy. Time blocking. Yeah. That's the key. Uh, I mean, I did that. I, I wanted to listen because I was I didn't want it to like skip over and I wanted to support him and stuff. So I like I just said to actually Toby was listening to it as well. And I was just like, oh, I just want to listen to his first one kind of stuff. But yeah. And then this, and luckily Chad was free to go to that Tony Bates thing yesterday. Cause I, and I said, Oh, you'd really like this. And uh, I think it was from BC campus. It was through the justice Institute, but the BC campus yep. promoted it. Yeah. Yeah. That's because Tannis uh, Morgan is. But you do yeah. with Buckingham palace. So I do. Exactly. I, you yeah. might see a Corgi run by. <laughs> Is that a hot dog kind of thing? Yeah. The hot dog the fat one. With no legs. It's a pasty. Whoa. Okay. Well, how is everybody doing? Man. How are the lovely people doing today? So far, so good. It's Friday, man. I know. It's is been it? Friday for me since yesterday. Yeah. Nice. And in the morning. Tisk, tisk. Hey, Sally, what, what happens when you get to control your own schedule, girl? I know. Well, I do control it. It's sitting at about 75 hours a week. <laughs> well. I know. Just, well, just been yeah. a, a collision. A, yes, this whole, huge collision of projects. But the good news is the REB is approved. But it just is. It is it's like a confluence of projects. That's oh, what's going on. That's good projects. for Friday at four fifteen. Look, Look at you. Yeah. How many uh, how many gin and tonics have you? Well, <laughs> well actually, I'm hoping Dean remembers to actually pour a beer in a minute because uh, they were a bit warm. They're now in the freezer. You know, um, the non-disclosed. Yeah, that's location. the problem with. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right, you ready? Oh yes, <laughs> I've been recording since I've come on, I so I've got like twenty that's minutes of really good stuff here. Oh yeah, I've been recording too. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Ah, so I, this is, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a few outtakes in the beginning and the end. Yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's yes. enough. I hear that very good for <laughs> yeah. storing information on information. Yeah, we're going off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. Ready, three. Two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. Number 50, people. You did it. Number 50. This is, this is, uh, no kidding. This is the, this is one of the serious benchmarks in the podcasting world. If you didn't know that already. Have you, have you hit 50 before? Oh yeah. Yeah. With podcasts. The guild. Not not age. (laughs) 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 Insert drum roll here. No. So in, in, in my I have two other podcasts. The first one I had, The Guild, I got up to episode 65, 67-ish. And then uh, in Praxis Notes or uh, the short one that I did for a little while, I didn't, I don't think I made it up to 20. But um, yeah, so number 50. So I've I've got about 135 podcasts under my belt now. It's good. It's all good. Congrats. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a big one, right? 50 is the tipping point for a lot of podcasts. And, uh, usually they, they die out within, within 10 or 15, 10, 15, 20 of 50. So they'll die out by about the 30 mark or they'll die out at the 70, 80 mark. So the next big milestone is 75, 80. And then after that, it's, you know, looking back, then you're like in the James Altucher, Joe Rogan, 
Mark <laughs> Maron, <laughs> Tim Ferriss. I feel like it's Pat just Lynn. gaining momentum. I look at January's yeah. lineup and I'm like, wow. It's oh, kind of it's crazy. Exciting. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I did, I just, re- well, I recorded Alan Levine last week and uh, that was phenomenal. So for everybody who's listening to this episode, Alan will be on next week. And um, yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, I'm just sitting there like, uh, this is like Alan Levine on the other side of the screen. He's totally to cool. To like one. he doesn't yeah, totally cool. He's been doing this forever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when Tony Bates was a teenager, Alan was getting into this kind of stuff. So <laughs> Alan, not that you're old, you're just, you're seasoned. I think this is the term we use. Anyway. Um, yeah. So next week Alan's on, and then I got a couple uh, electrical apprentices again. So Darcy's coming on. And then I'm, I'm thinking of doing a new addition to the, to the podcast called Praxis Notes, where I go through some books that I've been reading and uh, kind of do like a, maybe a Jocko Willing kind of flavor to it, where it's like, a, these are like, Five I'm hours. currently, sorry. Five hour podcasts. No. You're going to read the book to us because we don't have <laughs> yeah. time to read it's it. Right. It's like Audible, but it's not. Right? <laughs> it's <laughs> so, some dramatic <laughs> sounds going off in the background. My kids reenacting and stuff from beatbox. books. But you could be beatboxing mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, I could beatboxing it. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of books right now. I'm almost finished uh, The Practice by Seth Godin. Godin? Seth Godin. Godin. Phenomenal phenomenal book right mm-hmm. and uh i'm i'm just starting geeky pedagogy so that's the first one that'll come it's out a great book have you read it already yep uh, how do you read with a 15 month old very early in the morning it's called, <laughs> it's called four hours of sleep a day yeah <laughs> sleeps for the week <laughs> yeah sleeps for the week yeah no i set aside an hour every morning to read so i get up early just because i i need that yeah yeah good for you yeah awesome so I'm, I'm doing this Praxis Note thing starting January. Cool. So every, every month, the, big, the first episode of every month will be a Praxis Note. So I've got Geeky Pedagogy lined up, War of Art Education Series. So if you've read There's, that book. Really? There's an education yeah. series in that? No, I'm making it an education series. Oh, the Stephen Pressfield book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then What the Best College Teachers Do. I'm going to do that yes. one. And then Radical Hope, and I'm focusing on chapter eight with Radical Hope. Good old chapter eight. Oh, yeah. What was it? (laughs) Don't use your, don't use your pedagogy as a weapon. Oh, yeah. That's a good, yeah. Have you talked to Kevin? You should try to get him on the show. Uh, He'd come on. uh, Dude, I'm, yeah. You know, you're caught between that really, or do you think you're that good that you can ask these guys who've written books and are like high flow? You asked us. Hey, you asked Lucy. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's very true. Lucy's here. It was risky. It is risky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In more ways than one, it's risky. (laughs) But but on top of that, we've got George Velasianos. Stanios. He's coming on. Um, I got Robin DeRosa signed up. She's coming. Uh, Kat Hassard. I've had her on the guild podcast. Mm -hmm. She's a T vet instructor from Sate. She'll be on in February trying to rope in Carrie Nolan. So Carrie, if you're listening, uh, we need to get you in here. Uh, Jessica, we've got Jessica roped in. Yeah. Jessica uh, Gamala is doing an extraordinarily Mm -hmm stuff yep. with the horticulture department over mm-hmm. at BIU. Mm. Yeah. So we've got a, we've got a pretty good lineup coming up for the next two, three months. So 
I'm excited. I think, I think you're at a good spot because, um, you know, even though we've done so much and this last year has been crazy, I think that we're now like really looking forward to, you know, this was awful and it was, but yeah. it was a lot of learning. There was, there was so much great learning. Mm-hmm. And I think now like we've got like, so many like great things that we can do. Baby alert. Just, Hang on. We've got a new uh, guest on got the a show. New guest. It's awesome. Apparently yeah, he right? loves the Beastie Boys. Put, put the yeah, mic he does on. love the Beastie Boys. <laughs> you do some sabotage, Sammy? It's funny because they can't hear us. Hi. Here's <laughs> <laughs> our future superstar. Well, yeah. One day. He has more hair than my daughter, who's two and a half. So. Yeah. He still but, doesn't have a lot of it, though. Lila has no hair, too. It's got more hair than me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the future of oh. education is right there in a very yeah, exactly. orange sweater. With a big future pedagogue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he loves his carrots. Yeah, oh, he's, uh, yeah. All right, see you, Sam. See you later, Sam. Bye-bye. Finish Say that bye-bye. carrot, buddy. It's like, what is that weirdo <laughs> doing? <laughs> yeah. Is that like he's even holding the carrot like a Beastie Boys microphone, like that up in the air, kind of reverse thing. Yeah, that's what we work a lot on that around. We here. work a yeah. lot on that. Yeah. If Beautiful. all else fails, you're cool. That's, that's right. Thing. Very cool. Exactly. So has everybody got their oh, beverage? Yeah. No, yeah. Mine's still chilling. Still chilling. Yeah, still chilling. What do you What are you drinking, Lucy? I have um, a. Uh, what is it? A Viognier from Backyard Wineries in Langley. Oh, look at you. And um, go see them because they're still open, even they're though that, <laughs> even though that be, there's right a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not, yeah. So it's open until five. But yeah. they, um, yeah, I've been a wine member with them for about three years. And um, we uh, we snuck there last week while Lennon was in school and Lila was in daycare and went and picked up our wine for Christmas. So, um, what is a wine yeah. member? What does that mean? So it's you a get very posh words, Tim. Yeah, that drinks wine. <laughs> it is yeah. someone who drinks too much wine. You get a card um, for that. Is so there, like, you, you're, you're on a scan? membership. You're on a membership, and then you get like um, if when you buy a case of wine, you get a discount off the case, um, and you have to buy a case at least twice a year, which is no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, a year. Yeah. Forget about the financial part. Can I yeah. drink a case? Yeah. Can I drink a case within a couple months? Can yeah, I? no yeah. problem. Good. This is um, 12 in a case. So let's say 12, one a week. That's, that's about three months, yeah. right? If you do yeah. two a week. Yeah. One and, and a half months. Well, normally we get them in because we have people over, but obviously no friends. one's coming over. So it's going to maybe last us a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And another place I visited last week was Glass House in Langley. Which, uh, state seems house. to be the hopping place for wine it's state winery it yeah and uh, it's it's really nice all their corks are made of glass so really what yeah they're like a glass how cork, do you use a cork and you can reuse them so what? it's got like a rubber thing around the glass and then you take it off and then you can reuse it for like as a bottle um like a um a bottle stopper you can reuse it so, yeah. so all their corks gen- are like that yeah every single one yeah they're all glass can you, can you say gen- that again? Can you say bottle stopper again? Bottle stopper. In <laughs> <laughs> <And> Guardianiosum. <laughs> what? Genderize this that was conversation. My but there's only oh, two of us see. that are really intrigued by these glass bottle stoppers for the real reason. Glass bottle stoppers, they're yeah. so pretty. Aren't they, they are so pretty, pretty, yeah. Yeah, because that's why I'm buying wine. Yes, right? exactly. Because it, it just things just look pretty, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Chad and Tim have just been like, why would you want to yeah. You'll appreciate when things open up and you can come around for tastings. Then you'll oh, appreciate my uh, okay. round to fan the of wine membership. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, will, mm-hmm. I will certainly put that on my calendar. Yeah. Uh-huh. The second thing I look for when I look for an IPA is obviously where it's made because I, I care about that kind of stuff. And then I look at the alcohol content. Mm. So if an IPA has less than 6.5, well, I don't know if it even qualifies as an IPA at less than 6.5, but I'm hovering around 6.87. <gasps> I Not love me. those double IPAs where you're coming in at eight, eight and a half, nine. No. Have you um, tried Thor's Hammer from yes. Surrey Central Brewery? Yes. Ooh, that's like 12 yes. and a half percent. <laughs> yep. Amnesiac from Phillips. That is phenomenal. It's 10%. Doesn't taste like 10%, but it feels like 10%. When feels you're about three like quarters it. of the way through. It's like, oh, hello. Yeah, we're here now. And my, uh, my face is numb. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you're done. Bad yeah. life decisions written all over. You're done. It. Yeah. I made the mistake of having two in one sitting one time. Yeah. I won't do that again. Well, I'll do an episode 24 of uh, Praxis Pedagogy. That's why <laughs> number, you made number that. Number 80 will be. Uh, yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? Oh, I have an idea. We got the whole right. gang here. What do you want to talk I know. about? Okay. I think oh, we God. should. First of all, pick the one thing about the whole T-Bet system that we are ready to burn down. One <laughs> thing. Down. Everybody gets There's that term, I normally, burn, it, burn it down. Burn it down. <laughs> I normally always like think about things to build up. I yeah. just normally forget about the burn down stuff. And I forget about it and put it away and just start working. Well, so it's have hard. another sip of that wine, like, Lucy. Yes. I know, have to but, have a solution <laughs> on the first round. Okay. You can go, okay. And we do, this is figuratively speaking. I, I know what I'm so, going to burn down. Okay. okay. I know. Right. Okay. So we'll go down the burn down, but by the time it comes back round to us, we have to have a solution. Oh, yeah. Totally. Easy. Love it. Tough one. Okay, okay. You go first. Use your idea. You go first. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm going that. to leap in there that. Um, oh, do you have gosh, notes? <laughs> Do I have notes. I did write it notes? down. Yes. No. 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 You can't I, throw an idea out there and come prepared. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Because Tim Carson's. But no, I've, I've been prepared since January the sixteenth during my dissertation, where I said this group are ready to burn it down and start from the beginning. <laughs> so it was. Yeah, I've done a lot of research about this. About six years worth, actually. I think the one that I'm going to go for today, the point that I'm going to make is around students' um, perspective around that learning is listening. Oh, I'm writing that down. Yeah, that is something that I would like to remove from, I think, any education system. So we can look at various sides of that but the assumption lives quite strongly that learning is listening so that's mine so you're saying why do you want to burn it down why because if the assumptions made that somebody learns through listening, I'm, I'm not meaning that just, you know, for a few minutes here, there and everywhere, 
but mm. I'm talking about, for example, when um, students need to sit and listen to lectures for a long time, and the assumption is that if they've heard it, then they understand it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you frequently hear, hear instructors say things like, we've been over that. We went over that the other week. We did this in class. And so it's this assumption that because somebody has heard something that they have a full under conceptual understanding of it. And I think in our school system, um, up until a certain point, there is this assumption that if you sit in a row and you listen to what is being told to you, that you are learning. And so I'm going to say, although that does have a place in education, we need to be very deliberate about that. So if we think about TED Talks, I mean, fabulous. I, like, I feel like I learn so much from a TED Talk. And yet they're very deliberate. They're very clear on their intended outcomes. Yeah. And so I'm just going to say as an everyday assumption, we need to, we're going with burn it down, but maybe it's just that we need to explore that assumption. But why do TED Talks work and standardized lectures don't not, right? And I think what you said is spot on. Like they're, they're deliberately designed. They're never more than 18 minutes long mm-hmm. and they pack a lot in there. People spend years writing them. Yeah. Whereas when we lecture and I'm, I'm the most guilty of all of us, I can just talk. And so I can talk and talk and talk and talk and go past 20 no, minutes. No, no it's true. Jim. I know. <laughs> no, just one second. I got to get too hard on yourself. Jen. <laughs> Don't interrupt him when he's speaking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sorry, Sit sorry. Down and learn. So that's, I'm I listening. think that's the thing. It goes back to deliberate design. Yeah, I totally, yeah. I mean, okay. it goes back to clearly having an intended outcome. So mm-hmm. Ted taught, as you say, mm-hmm. very deliberate. So when we look, I mean, that's our solution, isn't it? Which really we're not getting around to the solution just yet. No. But because mm-hmm. um, you've all got to put your, you know. And, and just know, to speak forward. on that with the TED Talks too, like <laughs> TED Talks normally direct, like they've got three or four major points. So for me, mm-hmm. I concentrate on that one point and then I'll go back and watch it again. And then I'll concentrate mm-hmm. on that second point and I'll go and like, make notes of what I need to research from that. So that repetitive mm-hmm. kind of what you take from each time is different. Awesome. Yeah. Which, yeah. Let me jump in. It's about a story. Mm-hmm. It's what I learned with Alan, right? Mm-hmm. If, you start, if you start putting stories and metaphors to your teaching, that's key. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So your, your typical Ted talk is a story arc, right? Mm-hmm. There's, 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 there's a problem. They introduce the character. There's a little bit of conflict, there's some resolution, and then there's application. Boom, done. And you also, you're able, the assumptions being made as well, that you can revisit that and you probably will revisit that several times with intention. So I think, you know, the intention, when you arrive in a classroom and you know you're there for three hours and in your experience, is that a lot of the time you could arrive there to class and you are going to be an observer for most of that time. You're going to be mm-hmm. in that passive role. And so I think there's a lot of assumptions are made. I'm talking from the students' perception, um, you know, how they've been shaped to learn through a lot of our K-12 system, although that, uh, I'm going to come up with a different 
point there in my solution. But it also shapes, there's two sides to this, how the perception that educators, so that if we look at trades, the SMEs do think that if they tell you about their experience, about how they'll solve things or how they've solved things, that this will help you understand. And, and maybe it does help, but I think that we're missing a very valuable piece in there when we make that assumption around listening. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted, and this kind of goes into the solution bit a bit too, but from what Lucy picking up what she said about how with TED Talks, she, there's three points, she gets one and then she can go back Right. Mm-hmm. She can go back and listen to it. Well, maybe we need mm-hmm. to start thinking about that. How are our students going to be able to go back and listen to them? Are we providing them with videos? Are we providing them with, with audio where they can go back? Right. We, mm-hmm. we lecture and then we say, well, we went over it last week. Why don't you remember that? Well, how are they supposed mm-hmm. to remember 25 points in three hours when I can barely remember? We're, and we're educated people who watch these things over and over again. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that gets back to the whole deliberate design. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, before Chad offers up a solution, because I know he's just like, he's hovering on the solution there and we've got to hold that solution back. Who's up next? Mike Smith, are you in the house? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing, yeah, from the undisclosed college, I talked to Mike, talked to his lawyers today. He's not allowed to talk about (laughs) his undisclosed college, but he is here. Signed a, signed a no, no, no non-disclosure. Uh, non-disclosure. He still has a career ahead of him. And if, when he starts burning things down, he doesn't want to start pointing fingers and naming names. Um, oh, but you want to. So things that we would burn down, standardized tests. Oh my like God. That. You, ah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, you got to get on it, Lucy. You, got, you got three there. minutes. I know. Yeah, now you got some time. Ah. Like I, I, and I'll, here, I can talk for a while, so don't worry. You just go pick yourself <laughs> yeah, out. Okay. Actually, Lucy, you're going to sit in the corner. We've talked about this before. We've written about all of us have talked and written about it and wax eloquently, but the fact that we are training our students to take tests and that's it. Like yeah. where, when they leave our trades programs, some of them are really, really good at taking multiple choice exams. And what does that do for them in real life? Well, nothing. When they should be learning how to collaborate, they should be learning how to problem solve. We should be building more authentic assessments into our curriculum. And I get the whole idea that we have the Red Seal exams that they have to take and how else are they supposed to assess that? Maybe we need to think about burning that down too and start moving more towards an e-portfolio. That micro-credentialing, all that, all that sort of fun stuff, right? Because there's so much that goes behind that. I. I did really well in school, but, and I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying that when I went and wrote my Red Seal exam, I was sick, but I had to write it that day. And so I went in there and I bombed it. And it, all it said was to me that I did bad on that day because I had a bad day. How many students walk into these tests and yeah. we sit there and think that, you know, that's going to be a good indicator of the, them understanding it or how many, it's an old cliche and an old trope, the good in the class, bad on the tools, good on the tools, bad in the class. It's there's reasons why we have those stereotypes and we need to get rid of that. I, um, I didn't take my red seal until four years ago because it wasn't available in BC for hairstylists. But by that time I'd been hairdressing for 114 years. (laughs) Whoa, uh, you look fantastic. I know aging pretty well there. Um, and, um, (laughs) 
You must I, know I, somebody in aesthetics. <laughs> I do. Don't <laughs> mention her name. Um, and so I'd taken this exam before in the UK. I'd taken a provincial one when I arrived in BC back in about 95. And so this, and I had taught this subject to the standard within the province for, I think at that time, about 10 years or yeah, something like that. So it should have been an absolute walk in the park for me. But I really did spend a lot of time reviewing before I went into it because it, was, it seemed incredibly high stakes for me because it was like it was my career at that time. And I took just about the full amount of time. I actually went over the questions in great detail. And I'm, you know, it's not like I think, oh, I'm really strong critical thinker, but I do have an element of that to me. And what I found was if you think critically about those questions, suddenly there's so many variables in them that you find yourself thinking, well, it, you know, I was even writing questions down saying, well, did they miss a comma in this, in this question? Because they're, they're so poorly written. Mm-hmm. And, and you get this sheet that you write mm-hmm. down if you have any queries about questions. So I took my time writing lots of things on this sheet, um, providing feedback. And at one point I said, it's as if this has been translated from another language. Like there were four or five questions that were clearly not grammatically correct. So that was a concern. But when I left that um, exam, I walked back into uh, to my office and I said to my colleagues, I honestly don't know whether I passed or not. I haven't got mm. a clue. That's how I feel about it. That's, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if I had failed. A few days later, I got a phone call from the ITA and they said, oh, you know, we'd like to chat to you. You've got the highest score we've ever had on the ITA exam, <laughs> but we're querying your questions. And, and the reason why it was a high score, not because <laughs> I'm super smart or anything like that, was because well, the you rest... helped write it. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't know anything about it at that point. Oh, okay. Good one, though, Lucy. Yeah, I would do now. But yeah. the thing was, Lucy's always good for throwing a rock and yeah, yeah, I know. Like, like, yeah, that's get you right in the shins. Yeah. You on the smart. And I want you to know, I don't have that high score any longer because what it was was that up until that point, the Red Seal exam had been given to hairdressing students in the province that had done their foundation program. So since 2007, all of the candidates for that exam were foundation students. They hadn't even gone into industry. So that was what the big leap was that surprised them. But the thing that I took away from it is what Chad is saying as well. Is this a good, you know, is it a good measure? Now, the positive thing with hairdressing is, that there's a seven and a half hour practical ex- exam mm. that's a rigorous exam and it does really mirror the demands of industry. But the actual I, written exam, yeah. Yes. I mean, even with the practical exam, it's one day. And um, and so like with, um, you know, again, it's a standardized test. It's just done in a practical way. Like, um, you know, you have um, the, the, the reason why I wanted to talk about 
you know, modulized tests and stand like uh, in, in standardization is because just what Chad said, like it doesn't measure how good you are at that particular trade, even though some there are some tests that all four answers are right. But, the, you know, the, the best answer, you know, is the, you know, that they, they're rated on different answers. But um, but again, like I'd never I'd never written a multiple choice test um, before mm. coming to North America. And so I didn't even know what it meant. I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Seriously? You give them the answer and they pick, like they guess. How, I don't know. Yes. So, um, and I, you know. No wonder you're a colony. Trade <laughs> three years of trade school. And then we, you know, none of us, like I asked my brother, he's an engineer. I'm like, did you ever do any like multiple choice tests? He's like, what? No, I didn't. And so like, you just, you had to write like for, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast, we had the, you know, the entire nervous system of the body and we have to know the nervous system and label the, the areas, you know, you don't, you don't have to just pick A, B, C or D. And, uh, and it's the same with the practical test too. Like uh, we, um, how the, you know, real competency based learning isn't in a final exam, you know, and I think there should never be a final exam in any practical. So in our trade in holistic therapies or hair hairdressing you know they might say okay now you're going to do your one perm or your you know your hot stone massage and you're 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 just rated on that one time like no it should be an mm-hmm. accumulation of assessments mm-hmm. you should know more in week in you know in the in the last month of your program than you did the first time that you were assessed like so give them the whole bloody program to master their skill don't test them you know throughout the program you know do mini maybe mini assessments so they can grow obviously but the final result should be based on one test or one practical you know technique and um and you're right like with with the red seal exam that really needs to be that needs to be looked at i think one of the the great things about this past year is that we we can now realize that there is there is so much that we can now do we have so much potential and education is it's just gonna it's gonna mm-hmm. completely somersault yep. we you know and and i i'm i'm you know i i do think about the people that are live teaching and trying to process this at the same time and i hope that you know, there is support for faculty out there to make their programs propel like this, but we are going to go like this, like we're going to go, we're going to completely change direction. And I think what you said, somebody said earlier about the e-portfolio idea. And now it's just, you know, I look at an asynchronous program for a trade and the e-portfolio is just the, the, the students are coming away with that, whether it's intentional or not. So, what you know, for instructors that have never used that, um, you know, that model before, suddenly we've got evidence of when students are reviewing their own work, they're submitting their own videos and they're looking at their work and d- they are intentionally improving mm-hmm. it. So I think, like you say, when you take something like the Red Seal exam and know that this can be captured in that way. And I know that those, the not workbooks, what are the books called? Yes, the logbooks have been introduced. <laughs> but if they're e-portfolio logbooks, this is a whole mm-hmm. different thing. And just one thought about that 
multiple choice tests. I've got to say this. One of the easiest ways to make really good um, case study questions is to take some of those existing multiple choice tests and remove the answers, remove those choices. And then you've got these, some of those questions are just brilliant. They require so, you know, mm -hmm. such a high level of understanding and it's right there for you to use. But it's that whole thing. People would say, but then I have to mark everyone. Like I have to go through That's every test. Yeah. And this comes back to what Kieran Egan, Dr. Kieran Egan always says is, we do know how to educate people. What we don't know how to do is educate them cheaply. So that's mm. what we're trying to do. We're trying to do it so everything becomes efficient, but a multiple choice test is efficient, but it's not an efficient way of measuring. But it's making it granular. So like mm -hmm. in the, you know, when, uh, when I was teaching in the UK, we had assessors, internal verifiers, external verifiers. And so um, the instructor would mark their classes work. Um, so we used to have like exam books because we had to like fill out the whole human body and systems and whatever. And so they were exam books that we would do bit by bit and, and stuff. And so then an internal verifier, so somebody who has some degree within that department would handpick um, a few different exams and look at how everything was being marked and uh, they would sign off on that. So each person, the, the teacher, the internal assessor had a number. And so who it was marked by, they would mark it their name and they'd put their assessing number. The internal verifier would pick a group of these exams and then they would check it off. Yeah, this looks great. And they would put their number down. And then the external verifier that comes from the board, like from sitting guilds or VTech or wherever, or VCT, ITech or BTech, whatever it is, they would then come in and they would pick, handpick some of the work that was done by both the internal verifier and the assessor. And if that all looked good, they knew the system was working, but everybody was accountable for what they marked because every faculty member had a number attached to them. So if they went back and said, this person doesn't know, you know, aromatherapy or this person mm -hmm. doesn't know this part of um, mm. the physics that they should know, like when they're out in the field in engineering or whatever they're doing. And it will trace back to who marked what. And, you know, that, that is a, a really great system. And also the, in, the uh, assessors can also go out into industry and work with their apprentices and mark off work from their apprentices as well. So it's all kind of connected. And it's just, I'm not saying that that's what we need to do. We need to copy that, but there are, some great systems out there. We don't have to recreate the wheel. And, and uh, yeah, so there's lots of options there. And the e-portfolio, that will get you your career. You know, mm -hmm. when you leave school and you can show them all this work that you've done instead of, oh, yeah, I, I, I did this multiple choice test, like that, that portfolio is going to get you the job over the next person. Like, yeah. you know. And why are we... Why do we silo industry from education? I know people, I get pushed back on that saying, no, no, industry is part of it. They're, they sit on committees. They're part of this committee, that committee. But why aren't we bringing the stakeholders into it at a granular level? Like, why are we not getting the foreman to, and I, I, I hate, and I'm sorry, but I hate the logbook idea because I had the logbook when I went through my apprenticeship. You know what happened? I got people signing off on things Sign I never off. even touched. Mm -hmm. So it, they don't work. And what happens is you'll get some people holding you hostage with the logbook and other pe people will just sign off on it. So the e-portfolio, I think for me works because then they can provide evidence. 
And that's what gets, gets me excited with that idea, but we need to bring industry in more. And because they spend 80% of their time in industry doing their, their studying or their training. And yet we're, we're giving them a test for the 20% that they're in the class. And on that, we're giving them a multiple choice summative exam. It's brutal. the um, e-portfolio and you think about something like a blog I mean yeah. Jessica uh, Gamella is going to be uh, on the show in January um, and one of her colleagues has been using uh, WordPress blogs throughout the whole <laughs> semester and when you look at the potential that's there I mean there's e-portfolios in um, LS, LMS um, systems but the mm -hmm. problem with those is that you they're more they're clumsy to move forward but if you have this if you use something like wordpress so that this is a living really is a living portfolio that you continue like the potential is there and i think the thing is what 2020 has done is people that weren't looking for other ideas now are so you know, so aware of all the tools that are out there that we can't possibly in 2021 when, you know, hopefully we're all vaccinated and life returns to normal. We can't ignore this now because we know it and you just mm. I mean, you can't go back, can't unknow all of this. Thank goodness. When I finished my uh, my program in the UK in 2000, 2002, was my, I think I finished my whole thing. And um, I had a portfolio, an actual portfolio, it was like this thick, where I took photos of stuff and like print and printed them out and then stuck mm. them in the book. And then I used to carry that around to like interviews and stuff to show like all the work that I'd done. And I'm just like, now there's so many fun ways to kind of do that. But yeah. anyway, I'm going to knock on to my one because it's not that as exciting as that. That was what I was going to pick. Um, <laughs> but um, I, removing hours based. Mm. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, that's a good one. I mean, you don't need to say that. Yeah, I, you know, I sat in a classroom for seventeen thousand hours, and that's I what listened, made me great. Listened, I listened, hours. I listened, and I done multiple choice exams, and now I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you. I think that um, again, real competency based is you complete the program at a level that's sufficient to you. So obviously. The, the way in which we deliver education has to be done, not all at once. Like you can't be like, I mean, maybe it can. I'm sure you, everyone's done courses where everything's uploaded and you can just move through it as you want to. Um, I do feel if we're doing like a full foundation program or and we're doing, um, you know, a 10 months of, of work that we need to we need to deliver the information and in how the and how the, the, the faculty member feels that it should be taken in by the students. Um, but when we look at how we work through, like work on um, training aids or work on clients or whatever we're doing, um, I think that we should be able to flourish. And if we, um, mm -hmm. if we can do that quicker and we can have support in, in doing that, um, doing that work at the level that we want to learn at, we won't get bored. And, um, and so really, I mean, yeah, you could finish, you could finish your program in, in eight months or nine months or 10 months, you will pay the same tuition because you will get in the same education. But if you wish to, you know, I've done all my assessments, 
I've done everything I need to be doing. I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to work. And I'd like to check back in with you next month and if I have any questions, but I'm ready to go. And, you know, again, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to manage and the, the details are difficult, but the students will benefit like so much. And I'm sorry to say, but again, that's how I taught when I was teaching in a different country <laughs> was um, I had students leave in May and June and some that stayed till the end of July. Mm-hmm. And then, and, you know, and it depended on what their needs were. And so I feel that removing hours that I, I, again, I've never worked in an hours based education until I came to North America. It's not done in South Africa. It's not done in Australia. It's not done in the UK. It's not done in Europe. So again, it's, where is it? Where's that come from? But it's, it's not done in academia either. I mean, I know with um, sort of master's programs, you, it does say that you need to attend so many hours of class. You, know, you can't miss them. But it doesn't, when you take an undergrad degree, there are lots of them. Like if you choose not to go to class, if you don't need to, if you're the kind of learner that is able to read the text and, and, and provide what is required of you, then there's not this hour count attached to it. So we assume that when it's academic, that you can learn in more your own style, your more your um, level of ability. But we don't assume that with trades. Mm-hmm. Like you say, we're, yeah. we're using a different measure, aren't we, for, for both systems of knowledge. We're putting them all in the same situation. And it gets us almost to the conversation about asynchronous versus synchronous yeah, where you, totally. it's, we can have situations where the students that really need us can have us and the students that don't need us don't need us. And so they can go off and they can tear through what they need to. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times where they need, they need the experience. They need the wisdom, but then why not have them be part of a cohort that yes, you you don't have to be in that class or take those courses the whole time, but you follow this cohort for the four years and you still have, I don't know, a counselor or whatever along the way that's there to bounce ideas off of in a group. But mm-hmm. why should all 16 students sit in a class when some of them, I've had engineering students sit in a foundation level class and I had to teach them fractions and it's embarrassing for them to have to be there, but they need to do that. They have to follow the steps to get through, to do the mm-hmm. whole thing. Chad, so, you're not going to believe this. We had this conversation today at the digital tool shed because I actually just happened to present on a math for trade book that you might be familiar mm-hmm. with. Written by a couple of hacks. Yeah, I think so. By, yeah, I yeah, think it's yeah. garbage. <laughs> nice to know, but not need to know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not need to know. Anyway, and that came forward. Um, you know, somebody that teaches horticulture, she said, you know, last year we had two engineers in the program, both qualified, and they're having to sit there in the class and go through the fundamentals of math because there's a group of students in there that don't get it. And so just looking at the potential there is now that mm-hmm. need never happen ever yep. again. If we, so, sorry, Lucy. No, go on. You finish. Finish what you're oh, saying. No. I mean, as long as we don't do this thing, I mean, I hear voices saying, I'm going to go back to the way I taught before mm-hmm. um, 2020. <laughs> and I just, I think even if instructors plan on returning to that, I don't think students will accept it. I think there's going to be huge back pushback from so many students. And then the idea of high flex learning is disruptive. The idea that you might have some students come to class and some not, 
but yeah. why not? Just because it mm-hmm. disrupts the way that we have previously understood mm-hmm. what it means to learn. I mean, this, this is why when talking about asynchronous work, this is going to be our next big problem because hours don't fit into that. No. So when you have an hours based model and now you're, you know, maybe working on um, content that's, you know, that needs to be hands on, you know, in the institution, let's say you're doing some hands on as well. Um, how does the hours work now? This is going to throw all the institutions kind of through a loop. And also when you come back to Sally's point, um, and I want to just touch on some of our trades programs for indigenous, indigenous learners mm. that haven't been successful. And it's because of policies like ours. And, um, and because, I mean, obviously all students have other constraints outside work, but some of the things that we don't understand is those cultural constraints. And, um, that's why we see a lot of these students fail because of the policy of hours and absences and things like that. They, they want to um, succeed in the program. They have the ability to do it, but we can't bend and we can't be fluid. And by removing hours um, and keeping the competency will allow that learning to happen, you know, and yeah, so that's my solution as well. That, that, <laughs> the whole idea of them not being, we expect them to be flexible all the time, right? Like if something happens in the LMS or just don't worry about it, we'll get it sorted out, be flexible. But we're, we don't expect that of us, right? Like we're never flexible. We are, it is what it is. You will take this test. You will have these hours. You will make sure that the assignments in like, we don't have that flexibility. It needs to go. It's, and we've said it before, but it's a relationship both ways and the relation it's a relationship, not a dictatorship. And I think any good educational experience is based on relationships and not dictatorships. And I think we, as educators, all four of us have been relationship based. And so, and that comes with some flexibility. And when we start standing up and saying, this is the way it has to be all the time for you, because that's the way I did it. And that's the way he did it. And that's the way she did it. Then that's wrong. And like everybody learns in different paths and we need to start designing for that. And we have the opportunity now COVID has shone the light saying that those who actually took the time to design well, used asynchronous and created some really, really innovative, cool stuff. Granted, there's some really terrible asynchronous, synchronous situations going on as well. So some students might be looking forward to going back to face-to-face, but in my experience, I think it's better off for the students. I've seen it designed well. I've, I've experienced and seen how it can change students' lives. I think um, we need to incorporate that kind of flexibility into our own uh, institutions. Tim Carson, wake up. Hey, whoa, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Did, Tim, whoa. did you remember it was your show? Like, <laughs> Tim's like, I could just go out. I could yeah. go out there. Uh, Lucy go got my attention there. She just said the magic word. <laughs> uh, so many questions. Burning down. What are you going to burn? What are you going to burn down? I'm interested well, to know. Interested I got, to know. I got so many questions. Mm-hmm. So many oh. questions. Um, yeah, that, that, the comment that you made, Chad, about forcing people to fill out the logbook, that's pencil whipping. Mm-hmm. And that's prevalent, massively prevalent. And I would agree that it's some of the methodology is skewed. I'm not I'm not willing to throw the baby out with that bathwater yet. Um there was also some chat about removing hours 
based approaches to completion. I saw and, your eyebrow do this when I said that. So I wonder what you were thinking. A lot, a lot. Um, so the block release methodology, um, are you talking about reducing hours for technical training or for the whole apprenticeship? I'm not talking about like reducing. I'm talking about removing. Sorry, let me remove the question. Yeah. <laughs> Madam Chair, can I? Oh, sorry, I yeah. the witness hostile. Yeah, no, that's it's okay. It's the Buckingham Palace thing, Tim. I know, it's I, just I like so, you know. I sorry, know. Are, and then my husband just texts me more wine, Christian Mark. I'm going to reply, <laughs> yes, please. Yes, bring the whole bottle, Thank you. The bloody bottle <laughs> with, the, with the glass stopper. Yeah, with the glass stopper. <laughs> with the glass stopper. Yeah. Glass stopper. Okay, <laughs> so are you looking at removing hours for the whole apprenticeship? Yeah. So what I'm saying, sorry, my husband's trying to feed the kids downstairs. Sorry. And there was a didgeridoo just now too. No. <laughs> yeah, they're very happy in her house. Yeah, didgeridoo was just. Where the kids? Oh, they're asleep now. They're they're good. They're no, tired. Yeah. They're in bed. Um. Yeah. So the the whole program has got nothing. It's not hours set. It's it's competency mm. set. So what you would say is this program is for an academic year, mm-hmm. runs from September till July. Mm-hmm. Um, in North American academic year, that's till June. They get nine weeks on holidays, man. That's mm-hmm. going to kill me. Um, anyway, so uh, so you you have this academic year that you will attend school like Monday to Friday, and there's an absentee policy. This is what I had, but I don't think you should you should have even have that. But anyway, um, you shouldn't have absentee policy policy. In the final um, spreads, and yeah, there should be no absences. It shouldn't be docked. It, yeah. Anyway, um. So no so no absences. So if you're you shouldn't it shouldn't say ten percent absence and then if not you're removed from the program. I disagree fully. And not just partially. Uh, I remember that like people that I really look up to at the institution I work for is going to be like no it's fine. Um. But I <laughs> I really I really feel that um it doesn't we, benefit anybody. We can give you a different name from a different institution. That'd be fine too. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> I'd like that. Jane Jones. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. And we can Um, pretend you're Mike Smith if we change your voice. Michelle Smith. Me? Michelle. (laughs) Michelle Smith. Michelle and Mike. They're right trouble, those two. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Rowdy. Yeah. Wait for wait for Um, the sister Michaela to show up. She just (laughs) No, so I think that it should be based on you have to complete these learning tasks and objectives in order to mm. complete the program. Mm. And these are all the things we expect from you. We expect your complete mm-hmm. e-portfolio. We expected these um, practical assessments to be done. We expect this. And with absences too, like you're going to be hugely successful if you try not to miss any more than 10%. Now, mm-hmm. generally the reason why people miss school is not because they're just, you know, have really bad, you know, the tardy. It's not because of that it's generally because of another factor. So if you can support that other factor, you won't get the absences. So that's why I don't, you know, generally if like with, when I was teaching, if I started to see some absences, like I'd speak to the student, uh, I'd get a feeling I might pull in like, you know, somebody from counseling and say, you know, I'm let's get a conversation going here. Or it might be something to learning. It might be that they're, that they're bus, that they're, they're unaccessible, like mm-hmm. figure something out. It's can generally not because they don't give a damn. Was it mm-hmm. that they didn't want to come in to listen to somebody <laughs> to tell them? No, what they'd people love listening to me. It definitely wasn't that. No, no, not you. Not you. I thought we were talking yeah. about other people. I do agree with that too, because like if they know, oh, I've got to come in and listen to that in the morning, then I'm going to be hands on doing the stuff I like. 
yeah, then maybe they'll come in an hour late. And, you know, I don't blame them. Like, so find out what's going on. It's generally not the tardiness. It's generally there's another factor there. And because of it, and if somebody is just showing up late because they can't be bothered, then I'm sorry, I don't want you in my program. Like you're not contributing. You're not doing any of your competencies. You're not showing up in your practice. Like have that conversation, but don't just base it on someone who wants to be there, but has uh, multiple constraints outside school that, you know, can't get them into education because that's just putting up a barrier. Um, and, um, and so, so that's why that's what I think about absences, but with, with hours based learning, you can't say that if, um, you know, if you tended 25 hours more than me to a program that you're going to be, you know, in more insanely smarter in that, in that aspect than I am. Um, you know, I'm just super smart and can you know, absorb the information way quicker. Like it shouldn't be based on the time your bum is in that seat. It should be based on the quality of of, of learning that you are giving back to your instructor. And, you know, one of the things that Nikki said, um, which stuck with me is that, you know, if you're, if you're working more than your students, then you're doing something wrong. So your students should be providing you with an abundance of work. And, um, and so it shouldn't great work and it shouldn't be based on how, how long you're there for in a day or, or the whole year. Um, it should be based on the, t- the, the the quality of work that you're producing. Because you can have somebody there the whole time that produces minimal, great work, lower level work, and someone that's there a short amount of time that you're like, wow, this person's like, knows what they're doing, you know. And um, but again, you it's really difficult. Are disrupting the system, no. aren't you, Lucy? Mm. Well, a lot of times I think we're, we're designing for the bad actors, right? And that's not like when the majority of our students are not cheaters, the majority of our students aren't going to skip. So why are we designing all these assessment proctorio proctoring Mm -hmm. services? Sorry, Tim, you're about to get slapped with a slap. Um, With all that sort of stuff, like when it's like a vast majority of our students are honest and a vast majority of students are going to show up all the time. And then the ones that don't, sometimes like you're saying, they don't show up because there's some family issue going on. And when you start and heaven forbid, we should actually talk to our students and find out if there's any way we can help. And then you start hearing the real story. Well, such and such my mom or my daughter is, and then you hear these stories that those, like we need to be a little more empathetic towards our students and start, stop assuming that they're all bad. So we design these systems that say, you've got to be in this class from this time to this time because of all this, right? Because that's the way it is. And if you weren't, you're going to be screwing the system. Well, it's mm-hmm. not that way. Well, I even heard when we went moved to online that the students, we had to make sure that our students were getting face-to-face time for six hours a day online, because if they weren't, then they were going to be screwing the system by going to work and collecting EI. And how often did that happen? Everybody was in the midst of a pandemic at the beginning of it in March, and we're all terrified over it. Exactly. And here we are showing no empathy at all. No, and just assuming yeah. that our students are out there screwing the system again. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was department head for six years and we had about 500 students a year. Like we had a lot of students in our go through our department and that's probably minimum the amount of students we have right now. And, um, and I remember the ones that I had to remove from the program. And I remember being really upset about it because I knew it was wrong and I had Mm -hmm. to do it because other people had, you know, remove their students, that 10% and other, if I, I, I couldn't show that likeness, but I didn't have control over that. So I remember those faces of students and the stories behind those students. And um, yeah, I, I disagree with the uh, attendance policy. Mm-hmm.
Burn it down, Tim. You are up. Burn it down. I don't think Come there's on. anything. I don't think there's anything left to, for me to burn down. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mike's got one. Oh yeah. Okay. So all of you have been talking about really, really important issues and really, really important um, interventions, and and they're all great ideas. And I've been writing them all down. However, let me let me put forth to you something that's really burning my bubble and has been burning my bubble for a long time. And I think my bubbles burst and I'm not sure I have a solution. That's kind of why I'm going into a PhD program. Hopefully they're going to show me a solution. So here's the, here's the, here's, here's the piece that no one's talking about. And it's kind of a twofold thing where it's, it's, it's like puff pastry. You have, you have multiple layers here. The first one is professional development for TVET faculty, where the PID actually means something beyond a pay grade. And I'll just leave that sitting for a second. The second one is levels of support and engagement from all levels of the system, from the VP down to the newest hire. So too many times we see people move from faculty to department head, chief instructor, whatever you want to call them, chair, into administration. So associate deans, directors, and a switch gets flipped. And from a leadership perspective, I understand why that switch is there. I, I don't think it's the right switch, but I, I know why it's there and it gets flipped. And too many times I see people change when they get into an administrative role. I want to, I would love to see a deeper level of support commitment between administration and faculty more than, Oh, this is my portfolio or these are my five portfolios and I have to look after this and, and I think I know what the answer is, but I'm not sure. So the first one, the PD for TVET faculty, meaning the PID beyond a pay grade. I really, really think, and this is going to get me in hot water, but I really, really think that TVET faculty should never be moved into a permanent position without their ID. End of story. Without their PI, without their ID, instructor diploma, is that what you're talking yep. about? Yeah. Yep. I should also, I would also say, I think preferential treatment, and you can't say that in an interview, but preferential treatment or a higher pay grade needs to be given to those people who have started and or completed an ID program before they start at your institution. Mm -hmm. okay. I don't care if, I don't care if you're the best plumber in the freaking world. That doesn't make you a good teacher. Now no. the I, the ID program does not make you a good teacher because people have faked that and they've mm -hmm. gone through it and they, they go, thank you very much. I'm not frozen into step five anymore. Now I'm next year. I'll bump up to a step seven because I completed my ID in a year and I'll get that pay raise plus the annual pay raise. So I'm moving up to, thank you very much. ID mm -hmm. goes on the shelf and they never use it again. 
I, I would I would love to see some kind and, and and this is fraught with danger because we're seeing it in the academic side where people are are really pushing back against the tenure track model. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm wondering if there's something to rise out of those ashes for us to look at and really begin getting at the heart of why we do what we do. And it really comes down to two questions for me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? The second question is, what is it for? Answer those two questions. And I think you begin building not only a foundation, but a whole new framework. So as you're burning it down, that's what I'm thinking of. With the administration side, the administration support side, what I, what I would really think about is the idea of trust. It's, it's a huge issue because as soon as, soon as and I'm not, this is a wide brush, but as soon as somebody moves from, from collective agreement to non-collective agreement, they're stepping over a very significant line. And a lot of people recognize that and they go, oh, you're management now, so I have to treat you differently. It's like, well, why? Well, because you're management. I can't trust you. And I've seen the other, the other side of that play around. I'm management now. I can't trust you to do what you're doing, so I have to control you. And I'll think of different ways, different levers to pull to control you to do what I want you to do. because. I'm being looked at from my boss and how well I'm performing in my portfolios. So I'll gently put down the matchbox. So I, I want to pick it up. So. I, I get, can I just <laughs> no, push? No, I want to go first. Okay, go, you go, you go. No, Chad, you go, honestly. <laughs> I'll wait. Just hurry up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, here's my, on, this will be on. very quick. So as far as administration is concerned, I agree. We, they take a step over that line and a switch gets flipped. Not all the time though. Like we see individuals such as an individual we had on this podcast very recently that, w- that didn't flip that switch. Also, what we do see in, in an institution that I used to work at, naming names, that you see a lot of those managerial positions, they have MBAs. They don't have MEDs. They don't have MAs in learning and technology. They are, they are they're, they're there to watch the budget. And so they get pushed for that. So the higher ups, the higher than the higher ups need to realize that there's needs to be some pedagogical understanding put into this. There also needs to be empathy and we need individuals because what ends up happening is the ones that are empathetic end up staying in the teaching profession because they love their students and they, they stay empathetic and they say they want to, they care. Imagine if we had all these caring individuals such as Jesse who moved into those positions and then started started carrying downwards, right? Because we have this carrying sideways happening between an instructor and a, and a student. And we don't have a lot of carrying up because we don't feel it coming from down, from up top. So if we could cross that line and imagine if the switch that got flipped wasn't the managerial switch, but the empathy switch and saying, hey, I'm here as a servant to help you, to facilitate you. Much like we're in our classrooms where we're trying to facilitate our students, we're no longer speaking and them listening. We're coming alongside and facilitating while they're learning. Imagine if those deans and associate deans did that and they, they gave their instructors the rope for which they could run and do things with and be innovative, but that doesn't happen because it scares people. And so they don't do it and they, they try to re- reel it in. 
And so I would love to see a lot more care put into who are we hiring to these positions and are they just going to be counting the money? Cause if that's the case, you're, you might be building an empire, but you're going to lose it all in the end and it doesn't work. You know, Chad, on that note, I think there is hope on the horizon. KPU and BCC recently posted um, positions for associate VPs and their portfolio is teaching and learning. Mm. It's a portfolio with innovation, it's curriculum yeah. and pedagogy. These are new positions. And I think that that speaks to- what institutions the, were they in? Oh, was I not supposed to mention that? Maybe? No, no. Say oh, it okay. Again. KPU and BCC. Okay. And so these are new positions. And, and I think this speaks to the value that managing a budget can be done by somebody other than those of us that really truly value yep. education. And, and I'm hopeful. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I just think that, yeah. Enough said. I don't want to get slapped with a slap myself. <laughs> well, um, Lucy. Well, I, I, um, firstly, when I can't remember, I wrote it down when you changed my way of thinking, um, Tim, but when you first said that you need to have a PDP before you become a teacher, I disagree only because, um, I did my teaching degree. Um, and to those of you that are listening, I just did a cringe face. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, um, when I was, when I did my teaching degree, um, through sitting guilds in the UK, I had to be, and I think, you know, how it's designed now, like I had to be delivering the, in those scenarios in order for me to bring forth authentic work into my, into my teaching degree, which here is the PIDP. It's very much the same. And um, I had to make the mistakes so I was able to reflect. I had to um, learn about theory so that I could try them out and practice them. And I was really transparent with my class. Like I'm going through this um, um, teaching training, why I'm doing this. I want to try this out. I want to try this technique. So I think it was, it was hugely beneficial for me, especially as a tradesperson, hands-on person to be learning and doing at the same time. When you said before um, that question, that's what I remembered, that question where you said, you know, why is it you want to do this? Um, I've also interviewed many people that have said, I want to teach now, and you all have probably too, because I don't want to be in my industry anymore. I don't want to stand anymore. I don't want to work with my hands anymore. I'm tired. Um, no, I want passionate people who love the industry and I want to hook them in. I want to hook these passionate people in who still love what they're doing and say, please teach. And we will support you in becoming a great teacher because you're passionate about what you do. And I think there are instructors that do just go through the PIDP, probably just to get it done. Um, and But um, I'm working with quite a few instructors right now who I'm supporting through their PIDP who are asking me, um, how can I do this authentically? How, what can I do with my class to create something great for this assignment? And um, my husband's going through his PIDP right now too. So I feel like I'm going through it again. Um, and, uh, and so like I'm exploring things, you know, to show him what he can be doing with his students that he hasn't necessarily seen before. So that's why I do feel it's hugely beneficial to be taking this while you are teaching, whether you're um, leading apprentices on the field or whether you're working in an institution. Um, and I think you need to be um, 
you know, you need to, once you have your PIDP, I think then you should be expected to mentor other people to go through their PIDP because there's no mentoring system. And I think that's what's really needed, which I'm kind of doing holistically with people just because they've asked. But I think that mentoring system to understand this is why you need to know this. Like when we teach boring, um, you know, foundation stuff about best practices or, you know, work safe things like we have a reason. Like I nearly lost my finger. So this is why you need to know this, you know, like this mentoring pitch for this. So that's why that's why I think it's really good to do while you learn. And then I with the other factor with administration, um, I'm very lucky and I say this wholeheartedly, the deans that I work with, they didn't flip a switch and they're authentic and even when I was, you know, when I was a new department head, um, I've had bad experiences too, but I've, I've, they've been overwhelmed with the better experiences. So I've been, I've been really lucky in, it's always connecting back to the student and there's always a greater vision. And, um, so I can't really talk. I've known people that haven't been good at their, you know, at their job, but I'm very lucky that, um, you know, I haven't had that experience. And, uh, and so that flip, that switch flipped hasn't, hasn't happened for me from, for people that, you know, I, I necessarily work with, I'm sure it does. Um, I think for me, the reason why I'm more nervous about becoming, um, you know, a Dean and moving forward is because I'm more worried about a president, a president coming in who is, has a completely different idea to you and just completely removing you from a position that you love and care for. That's a fear more for me than having, I, I find that we've had some really good deans um, and I feel they need to be supported in making sure they don't have that fear. And when they take that leap out of being faculty, leaving that collective agreement to go in excluded, um, they, they risk a lot to do that. Um, as well, because now they don't have, you know, that security anymore. So that's a huge jump. So that's just my personal experience. Yeah. If I could just hop on in here, just for a second before it goes back, hop in, hop in. So um, interestingly enough, with what Tim said, suggested about the PIDP, um, some of you may know that I've actually been performing research on instructors experiences and perceptions around mm. the provincial instructors diploma and it was last week that I actually presented the findings to our dean's group so very timely conversation and I, I think that you know one of the biggest findings that came out of there is this whole it's well VCC in their own words say that really now that every trades instructor in the province is a polite hostage to this system because it's in the collective agreement. And, and the moment it goes into the collective agreement, it almost takes away these learning mm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it's like the paradox of learning, like it's a punishment as well as it's this incredible opportunity. So I'm going to say that I think that is problematic right there. So yeah. it makes it problematic. But I also want to add when I was thinking about, okay, you know, what is it that the one thing that I really want to change about 
trades education. And, and I went for the, the students part around, you know, the perceptions of learning is listening. But my other point really was that it's the assumption that subject matter experts can teach, that they are educators. Yeah. And why would we believe that? Why would anybody believe just because you are, can do something that you can teach something? And I think this comes into the value of, you know, access to the PID, but not with that flip side to it where it becomes, um, you know, it's like what well, you were saying earlier, your chat about um, pedagogy as a weapon, you know, why would the PID be sort of weaponized when, you know, if you don't get this, you can't get your pay increase. At the same time, just seeing it as your ticket to a pay increase, these are problematic from yeah. both sides. I tried yeah. to so really quick. I feel like I need to be a little more clear on some of this. So one, I didn't say exclusively have your PID before you get hired. I, I said show preferential treatment to those who have started and or completed. Perfect. I agree. The, 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 totally you have my approval. The, the, <laughs> the other, and this, this all stems from my deep conviction that when you move from the field to education, you are doing a career change. Oh, yeah. we're, we're hired as subject matter experts. And Sally, you proved that they hired you. You went and did your red seal exam. Yeah. You studied, but I mean, Okay. You had all this experience and, and you put and that came through for you. I'm summarizing rather broadly, but that was, that was my interpretation. Here's the comparison. If somebody wants to teach outside of TVET in academia, they need to have a certain level of education. Now, now again, that doesn't make them teachers, Right but they have to have a certain level of credential to prove that they've been in a system and that they understand certain things. Okay. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm couching this and saying that it doesn't make them teachers just like a red seal. Doesn't make you a good, a good tradesperson. It just means you've passed an exam. Benchmark. Yeah. Yeah. If, if somebody wants to head into the public school system, they have to go and get their teacher certificate before they're hired, before they're even doing anything. They have to go and get their teacher certificate. And yet when it comes to the TVET world, that's not, that's not, that's not applicable. It's looked at, oh, you've got your red seal. You've done five years of supervisory experience, but you're a lousy tradesperson. You sucked as a supervisor, but now we're going to hire you as an educator because man, you've been out in the field for 30 years and you, you seem to know your stuff because you, you can, yeah. you can, you can quite honestly BS your way through an interview. And oh, and by the way, somebody recommended you and the field that we have to pick from is nearly dead. Mm -hmm. So if there's a half alive flower, we're going to pick it because we need it. So I'm, I'm really talking about a systematic approach, a system wide perspective. And that's and that kind of folds into my my administration poke a little bit. And. So I, I just wanted to clarify those for, for. Yeah, that for makes listeners. perfect sense to me. And because, because I, I, I agree, I, I go back to my HMA squared principle, a heart, mind, attitude, action. If the heart is there, the, the thinking will come if it's not already there. 
then the attitude will be informed by how we think. And then the actions will be there. Will they always be right? No. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But the mindset, the heart, the core value is I'm on on a learning trajectory. Just because I got my red seal doesn't mean I stopped learning. Just because now I'm hired as an instructor doesn't mean I know everything there is to know about my trade. So if you're not willing to continue the learning journey, how in the world are you going to look at a student and say, your, your learning journey needs to continue? That's where I'm coming from. That's what I'm going to probably base a PhD on. I'm gonna, yeah. That's what we're going to write a book about. Uh, yes. That's what we're going to have a yes. movie on. We're going to sing yes, some songs. Yes, Dr. Timothy, I like it. We're going to have the beer mugs for it. No, I need to go get another one. Doesn't academia fall within that as well? Like they get hired. Yes, they have to have their masters, but they don't have to have any kind of pedagogical background. K to 12 does, but what do they do? They have student teachers. And to go back to what Lucy was saying earlier, what about a mentorship program? What about Mm -hmm. when a student, when an SME comes in that they have to Mm -hmm. follow, become a student teacher and imagine the difference that that could make. I I don't disagree with any of that. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't, I don't necessarily think those are, foolproof models either. Okay. Cause I have colleagues that have gone through the, the, the K to 12 system as, you know, teaching students or in their teaching certificate. And they've been, they go out to their practicums and some of them have had horrible practicums. Oh yeah. If you're like, talking, just as horrid driver, as, you're screwed. <laughs> just as some of us have had horrid experiences with our journey people. Yeah. Right. And, and some of them have had brilliant ones. Like almost like that, that couldn't have been written better than, than you experienced. So it's not the end all be all right. But it's certainly an, an opportunity for us to say, why, why is teaching important to you? And what do you want to do this for? If you want to do it for a pension. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll move on. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if there's any, well, there isn't a, a, an easy answer because this is, this is none of these things have simple answers. Cause if there were simple answers, somebody would have found them out already. But it, it, for me, there's, there's two things it comes down to trust and value, trust and value. And people will not feel that they have value in a, in a system if they also don't feel trusted and, or they can't trust people, especially above them. And, and to answer your question, Chad, yeah, academia suffers from this too. Right. But you look at the tenure track when people are trying to go for tenure. Uh, I, I know of somebody in an institution in the province of British Columbia, who's going for tenure and they have to, they have to jump through a ton of hoops to prove that they are quote unquote worthy of tenure. Okay. Now, you may not agree with that process. That process may be flawed, but it's a process nonetheless. And it's more than just a comprehensive exam. And Tim, I think really what you're saying is like we need a new process or we need to revisit this current process. And I think that for me, what I'm hearing sort of reminds me of Habermas's life world. 
And when we look at, you know, we can look at it like a, like a pizza and slices of pizza. And when the slice that is predominant within that pizza, the largest slice is all about the budget, or maybe it starts taking up over, you know, 50% of this pizza pie, which is the life world of this particular education system. That's the driving force. And we let, we value the other areas less and um, Habermas's life world. And I'm not an expert in this. Anybody that's listening knows that by now, but there's a tipping point when the slice of the other pieces and the, the other value systems become so large that they erode at the real value of education. And I think that that's where we're heading here today when we're saying that decisions are being made because they are you know, financial drivers. Why are we using multiple choice tests? Because they're cheaper to use. You know? yeah. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think Mike Welton needs to be a guest you need so, to get on your calendar. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's my, here's my thing. And I, I understand the role of budgets and I think, and they're important, mm-hmm. but they're just a tool, right? They're just a tool. I think they get leveraged in some cases too much. And I think they get, you know, sometimes neglected too much. I mean, from what I've heard administration, they live or they die on their budget right? What, what if, what if the budget was, was looked at as a means to an end, but not the end that there always seems to be bags of cash around. There always seems to be bags of cash around, even, even in the worst of times when, when, you know, an institution that won't be named because of slap, um, Went went one year in the in 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 the plus, and the very next year, within months of fiscal turning into the new fiscal, they were like millions in the hole. Okay, and then the institute miraculously bounced back within two to three years, right? Which in a in a in, a, in an educational facility, two to three years is like really two to three weeks in its whole lifespan. It's really not that long of a time, and. And, and, and oftentimes I see things getting funded where the question is, where did the money come for this? Oh, we did this and we did that. And we, we pulled some strings and there's the money. Oh, really? So it really comes down to a sense of value for you, doesn't it? That those things that you really value, you're going to find ways to fund it. And those things that you don't value, you're just going to tolerate it because you're going to be quote unquote tied to a budget. Quite frankly, that's no different than our own personal lives. If I want to find out what you value, I only need to look at two things. I look at your calendar and I look at your bank records because how you spend your time and how you spend your money will tell me what your value system is. It's no different in an institution. Oh, we really value our faculty and being on top of what they need to do and what in the curriculum that they need to deliver. Okay. Are you giving them time to create curriculum to deliver it. Oh no, we expect them to do it off their desk. That just comes with the job. Well then stop saying that you value that because you're not giving them time. You're not giving them money. 
silence. So I've just thought of about six new podcasts that we can do in 2021. <laughs> no. That's the problem. Because right, speaking of burning it down, um, I when know. I listen upstairs, my kids are going buck wild and I need to spell <laughs> something. are not buck naked yeah. they're going buck Same. wild. Well, I just, one I of them just probably heard is, my so. husband huff. So he yeah. went, he huffed very loudly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he needs <laughs> reprieve. He's a, he's a glass so of wine. This is just the <laughs> beginning, really, isn't it? This is Gosh, just chopper. the beginning. I'm okay. excited about next year. So yeah. excited. Yeah. I mean, I'm also scared and I, you know, we don't know what the, we don't know what's going to happen and we don't mm-hmm. know what the outcome is going to be, but we need to just explore it and support yeah. the people that need support. Mm. Well, I, I think all bets are off to a certain degree and I think all doors are open. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm turning my perspective around from doors are closed until they open. I'm looking at it going, mm-hmm. all the doors are open until they close. And, and until one closes, then I'll stop moving. But when, when they don't close, I'm going to keep moving. And um, so that's it. So yeah, thank you so much, cool. everybody. Chad, Thanks. Lucy, Sally. Cheers, everyone. Well done on a great year. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 50 work. great Cheers. podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Cheers awesome. to the next 50. Cheers yeah. to yeah. the next 50. <laughs> Absolutely. Course, it's like half my age, but that's, yeah, oh. half your age. Oh, oh, <laughs> joking, joking. Yeah, yeah she must um, be tired. She's lost count. That's no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't lose your sleep in that. Cat don't lose yourself in that big castle that you got to go through. I know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, okay. Thanks so much thanks. for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Love you all. And um, yeah, the thinking doesn't stop. No, never. All right. 